hit this and then I'm say peace. This is the Ash Your Old Head podcast with Justice Raji. I'm here with my good brother, Nas Divine. Peace. Welcome. Peace, God. So we're just gonna get into it. Yes. All right. Let's roll. Uh so we always start the show with giving you a moment to give some reverence, uh love, some respect to somebody, whoever you want to speak to. So go ahead and do that. All right. Um, I'm going to give uh, a whole lot of love and respect to uh, my parents, um, my uh, grandparents, my uh, plethora of uncles and aunts and cousins, and um, my childhood friends, um, the ones that I remain uh, in communication with to this day, as well as the ones who past and the ones who've, you know, gone their own journeys in life, um, to uh, the brothers uh, who were present in the process of me getting knowledge itself, who were examples to me, and um, uh, those who continue to walk the same path and those who have kind of went on their own missions. Um, I would like to uh, show love to all of the um the the people who have kind of been like light posts in my life or or um direction signs um uh, people who gave me good counsel and good guidance in in moments of uh where I needed moments of clarity you know or I needed uh the outside perspective on my own life and some of my own decision makings and doings so you know um and and you know uh um uh the brothers and sisters that I walk with daily uh um you know that that old biblical saying daily do I walk in the valley of the shadow of death but I fear no evil you know that knowing that you know there are people that walk with you in the in the shadows and the valleys of places that are that are dark and at times scary and and intimidating but you know continue to walk with you and talk with you and and you know be there in those times so you know as well as the people that you cheers and toast with so uh, I would like to just show respect to all of those people in my life because they've all played a significant part in helping me become shaped and molded into the person that I am all right peace Um, I'd like to add on one since uh, we are well we're doing this in Pittsburgh but we're in the hill and just to give some props to my man Rob Penny um, he ain't with us no more, but one of the elders um, at the University of Pittsburgh when I got there, and um, was one of the, I would say, first people to put his hands on brothers. Hey, man, you should do this. <laughs> you know I mean, give some direction. So uh, with that, we're going to get into the first question. So can you give me a, a value or like a, a practice or standard that you – hold yourself to that you think is important about how you move through the world as a man? Yes. Um, conduct yourself as such. Mm. So I've um, I've had a, a very interesting life, I think, um, and it stems from kind of the situation that I kind of was raised in uh, I was raised in a, a working class family of two southern parents who had migrated north 
to Milwaukee uh, from the deep, deep south. Uh, and um, so, uh, but I was sent to an all-white school district. And so, you know, um, I had to behave myself at school. And, but when I came home, there was a totally different culture within my house that was different from the way I had to conduct myself at school. And also, when I went outside to play, the culture of my peers in Milwaukee was different than the more traditional Southern parenting that was going on inside my house. So I, I, I guess early on I understood the concept of being able to code switch mm-hmm. and the importance of like knowing how to conduct yourself in different scene or d- different scenarios and different demographics. And so, um, just throughout life, I think I've learned to um, pay attention to my surroundings and conduct myself as such, mm-hmm. to strive to be, you know, not out of place, especially in, in you know, important times mm-hmm. or, or um, to be appropriate in situations that could be beneficial or, you know, um, so so both to as a as a. A source of offense and defense, mm, you know, okay. to conduct yourself as such, um, and and you know, um, I think that um, that kind of uh, really kicked off in my life when I I learned supreme mathematics and I learned how to be intentional about paying attention, because mm. mm. I I think you know based on that that conduct yourself as such type of program that I was I was striving to implement as a young person as a child really I think when I learned that there was a value system of uh purposefully doing that to get a desired result it was kind of like oh wow that makes total sense mm-hmm. so at, then you know and I we all make our 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 uh our trials and tribulations as young people but as I began began to be more comfortable in in trusting that process of being intentional about paying attention, mm-hmm. um, I've just been more and more successful. And so, you know, I, I would say um, that's one of the principles that uh, has kind of um, been been key in life for me. Is kind of like yo, some some would say behave yourself, but I I, I don't necessarily. Think in all situations you need to behave yourself either. Sometimes you need to speak up. You need to, you know, be outspoken. You need to be bold. You need to go against the grain. And mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes you need to, you know, that I, I as as gentlemanly as I strive to conduct myself, I think that um, we also do ourselves and do society a great dis uh, uh, um, dishonor and and in disfavor um, by sometimes not acting like, you know, we're descendants of people who've been systematically disadvantaged. And I'll just, you know, I I, I use that that term from my brother Majestic, you know. um, uh, I'll I'll phrase it that way, systematically uh, disadvantaged. Um, So to act like, you know, that systemic, disadvantage still does not perpetuate the society that you know we uh exist in is is um 
it's sort of sort of um almost like drifting away from reality mm-hmm. um and drifting in away from reality for one's own peace of mind's sake not necessarily f- to just you know um uh, drift away from reality um, because one is aware, unaware of reality. Mm-hmm. I think it's so. So I say all that to say, just being purposeful about um, understanding that you know there are times when we just have to call you know things as they are and not dance around um, issues. Mm. And and there are going to be times to choose a side to fight there are going to be times to choose a side as far as abstaining from certain conduct and and learning how to be strategic about your decision making you know learning how to um how not to fight every battle you know some battles are 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 best avoided to win a victory in the war and and you know, in particular, I think the war in our community right now is the the war of of, of the minds. You know, the the war of the minds of, of our our people. You know, and how we're going to survive the current systems um, because we we exist within a system that's crumbling and has never really been uh, adamant about our inclusion within it. So. More now than ever, uh, I think it's there's an impetus that you know we we need to consider our self determination um, going forward, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, especially in, with today's uh, degree of technology, and also the the stakes. You know, the stakes that um, the Earth is not in the best of shape, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this is the world that you know we're inheriting. Yes, sir. So. I, I could go on about these topics. I, I know I'm kind of. No, it's peace. I want to actually just roll back because it's something I felt important that you made a distinguishing point about, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and the, and the behave. It was let me make sure I say it right. It was, it was it was behave as such, mm-hmm. but not behave yourself. Conduct yourself as such. Conduct yourself as such, right? Because the you know I think that 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 behave yourself piece that a lot of us you know. Got you know what I mean as as a youth like, when you go to that over there behave yourself right and it's one thing to say that when you go into your auntie house right mm-hmm. that's different that's like going you know you going with your family you know like I know what that means but that other one where it's like you going to a mall or a shopping area it ain't in your part of town or um, you know or in, to remove the code you gonna go be around white people um, and and behave yourself around them. You know what I mean? As as if you understand, well, one, as if they are historically engaging us from some rational point of, of point of view about values, behaviors, and the nature of things. Um, but sometimes, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, our elders may have thought that, may have said that to us as a trying to protect us, but sometimes encouraged us to not be really um, assertive about our own dignity. Um, and, and, uh, and to me, I, I think that that's an important thing for people to differentiate, right? Like how to go and move in a space versus going in a space and trying to fig- trying to get into their mind and figure out what will make them not upset with you. You know what I mean? And at some point, 
they may just not like something about you, but that's not bad. That's not that's not evil. So that's a, my poll I picked up in there. If that's accurate. Yeah, I, I would like to add on to that point. I don't want to harp on this point because um, there's some there's a plethora of things that I think would be beneficial to discuss. But um, on that point, um, because I I in Milwaukee, you know, there are these clear separations of mm-hmm. white and black. And you know when you're traveling into a white space. So um, being that I went to school in a, a, a white suburb of Milwaukee called Shorewood, I often, with my friends, with my, my white friends and my black friends, we would often kick it on the weekends and go to malls. And, and you know, these malls, except for one or two, were white malls. So, mm-hmm. you know, often, you know, I knew going into these malls, um, either, you know, I, I wanted one of two outcomes. I wanted them to, you know, I wanted to stick out at the mall or I wanted to blend in. And so what I mean by sticking out is, you know, I I wasn't doing anything crazy that day and I was just being a teenager having fun. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stick out. You know, I'm being <laughs> loud. We're, we're laughing. We're, you know. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes we were on covert missions and, you know, or, or not. I just, you know, didn't want to be messed with. Because as a as a tall, dark skinned uh black teenager or or as a uh, uh a knowledge seed as a as a um darker complected black man or as a teenager, um, you know, eyes are already on you walking through a white mall because, yeah. you know, what's the first thing? You're probably gonna steal something, right? No matter how you're dressed, but especially if you you know, and I, I'm of that hip hop dressing baggy pants big shirt era of the of the mid 90s that's when i was in high school and middle school um everything was baggy so you know i fit the description hoodies baseball caps turned all kind of well i won't get into that but um so you know yes sir going into situations like that you're already drawing attention to yourself um and so um just understanding the importance of of my own conduct in drawing attention to myself and whether or not I wanted that type of attention or, you know, even in situations where I may not have deserved that type of attention, being aware of that too. And just, you know, the role I play in that and then the role that, you know, society already kind of has chosen for me to -hmm. play in that. So, um, yeah, I I take that all back too, though, uh, as I've gotten older and I've got to see, you know, younger brothers be in these positions where, you know, they can choose to blend in or stick out. And, you know, being now being the older um, older man to, to, you know, be able to tell them, hey, this battle probably isn't the battle that you want to fight today. You probably want to, you know, just avoid this battle and, and you know, survive the bigger war. Yes, sir. Um, and, you know. As a teenager, as a young young adult, you know, full of full of vigor, um, you you know, you have there's a short fuse. Um, so yeah. Yes, sir. Guys, uh one other thing I'm thinking, is there anything, you know, you spoke to sort of like getting like reading a room, sort of filling a space and getting an idea. Are there any like kind of mechanical or process kind of things you could share about 
how one can can develop their ability to like pick up what's happening in the room. Like and not not, you know, you don't gotta give out all the family jewels, just like maybe one or two. Like okay. Well, I was at a conference this week, um uh, a conference of uh the NAACP's uh environmental and climate justice division. Um and so uh one of the gentlemen that was in the room, uh uh, I want to say his name because I want to give him credit for this. Um, his name was Max. Max Zanizer. Um, his name was Max Zanizer. Sorry about that. Uh, from Philly. And we were in a conference group and he gave an acronym. He said, um, WAIT. And WAIT meant for, why am I talking? And so, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I said, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <sighs> Why am I talking? And he said his wife tells him that, you know, when he goes to conferences, he goes to events, you know, he wants to get you, you want to shoot off your point, you want to make your mm-hmm. idea heard. But before you say anything, yes, sir. Look around, listen to what's being spoken about, and ask yourself, why am I talking? Why Do I need to be talking right now, or do I need to be listening? And so I think that concept of like going into spaces, thinking, I shouldn't actually be talking right now. Let me listen and find out what's going on first, mm. and then decide my approach to the room, or... or you know, decide not to say anything and just kind of like play the background and and you know be seen and not heard. Um, so I think um, uh, why am I talking is is kind of like I, I would have loved to known that concept in elementary school and in middle school. I I, I would have I don't like to say I wish. However, I know the effectiveness that would have had on me as a young person because I ran my mouth all through class, all through school, and, you know, probably missed out on a whole lot of accomplishments because I felt like I needed to say what I had to say. I thought it was that important, and it wasn't. So why am I talking, I think, is is a critical point. In In my culture, I would say due to knowledge, like pay attention, stop talking, like, be observant right now. Don't don't go in because you know it's also um, a, a phrase that I, I heard a, a good colleague, um, uh, Dr. Jamil Bay, say recently is the 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 ignorance of assuming. Mm. Yeah, the, no, the the ignorance of assumption, or the assumption of ignorance. So um, the inverse effect of of both. And a lot of times walking into a situation, talking before observing the situation is, is you know, detrimental. Um, okay. So I would say that one. I would say, um, you know. Uh, thank you. I think, um, man, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, I would say that's a, a key Rajism. Okay. I mean, why, <laughs> why, why, you, why are you talking? What did you come in here to do, you know? And and really a self check. Right. You know what I mean to protect um, 
just there's so many different things we could spend off on a whole forty five minute conversation why where that shows up and is problematic and, and is indicative of what's happening in so many different places and what can go wrong and what have you. I think it's um or, thank you. No problem. Um so so yeah, I I would say like um another one that I've learned um because I you know, I, I at times I get very adamant about, you know, what I'm what I, I've kinda I don't wanna say feel, but the 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 tone of certain things frustrates me because I, I'm also aware of of small things that people do. So now they have a term microaggressions or mm-hmm. or thing very subtle nuances that people do that, you know, to the naked eye might not be perceived. I, I'm one of those people that perceive those things. I'm 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 aware of, of that type of expression. So um I um I have learned over time to sort of put my my tongue in between my my teeth, like my jaw teeth on the side, <laughs> and to kind of remind me to literally not say anything, to physically bite my tongue. Now I'm not saying I squeeze my tongue until it, it pains me. <laughs> I'm saying to remind me, don't say anything right now. Don't don't spaz out. Don't go there. Don't take yourself there. Mm-hmm. Don't. This is not the time nor the place. And like relax, calm down. And I think. You know, it's real easy to spout off or to to you know express something and and be emotional about yelling or or just saying what you think. And it's it's difficult to have um, the discipline to swallow your words and to you know keep that thought in your own head or in your own mind uh, um, and and you know have some discernment and have some some you know. Some, yeah, I think I think discipline would be the correct term, um, but but be able to overcome the emotions that are behind you know behind you know your thought because that's that's kind of like the critical point um, of people usually making bad decisions is whether or not you can control that the heat of the moment so to speak mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I have. A perspective on you know in in the religious uh framework of the 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 concept of um heaven and hell you know um and my my concept is heaven and hell is every time you make a decision you know you're either going to have um a a reward that that feels like you know you're you, you had a heavenly decision or you you're having a hell of an outcome so you know, um, yeah, I would say that those are are some of the concepts. Um, I, I know you're. We have some other topics to cover. Oh, yeah. We we just kind of. Oh. oh, that's that. That's no. Yeah. Okay, yeah, All we right. good. All right, cool. Nah, nah, people are you know anyway notifications. Okay, damn, yeah, damn, yeah. Damn. I just I just got one myself. Yeah. Um. Right. So. I'm gonna do. We're gonna go to the second question. I'm right. gonna circle back around. Um, so relationships, <clears throat> pardon me, relationships broadly defined. Mm-hmm. Is there something um, that you understand now um, that you do differently 
uh, that you would have done maybe when you were a younger man? And that's, you know, work relationships, personal relationships, you know, romantic relationships, whatever, broad, wherever, wherever it strikes you. Hmm. Um, I would say now I, um, I value relationships more. Um, I would say now I'm more intentional about doing things to um, to um, upkeep relationships. I think um, relationships are kind of like cars. They need maintenance. They need regular maintenance. And so I think... Um, uh, there are there are little oil checks and tire rotations in relationships that can that can be delayed or ignored, and they start those those processes of systems breaking down in relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the little things. It's it's just like that old saying: the little things that can extend a relationship or you know truncate a relationship. And so you know if it's something as small as a Hey, how you been? Text message, or you know, a voicemail that somebody gets a week later because they don't check their voicemails mm-hmm. and didn't realize that you had left one, and yeah. and they they just so happen to listen to it because it's you. That stuff means a lot, yeah. and um, you know, uh, also, you know, just the importance of reaching out to somebody because you don't know how much longer they're going to be here or how much longer you're going to be here. And so just, you know, getting outside of the ego of, man, they wronged me. They was wrong. <laughs> yeah. and, and, like, yeah, life is bigger than that little situation. And, you know, um, hey, uh Closure in a situation is something that you will always hope for when it's not an opportunity anymore. And so I think, you know, in situations where you can find closure in them, that helps heal you um, tremendously. Um, because, you know, those those situations that there is no closure in, that's that's something that's always sensitive. So anytime you can, you know be your bigger self and put on your, you know, your, your, um, adult undergarments and, and man up or woman up and, and, you know, be, be truly mature. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's the way to go. So it's difficult though. It, it takes a lot of, you know, that's a big bitter piece of humble pie that it takes to do that in a lot of situations. And, you know, it's, it's a very bitter pill to swallow, so to speak, but, and I don't advocate the taking of pills. I'm just using that phrase because we're in a pill epidemic right now. Yes, so yes, we are. I, I, I'm, I'm purposeful about my utilization of certain words and phrases and ideas because ideas are, are you know, connected to, to pictures and words. So I don't want to, you know, as I'm disseminating useful information, you know, throw in the term that uh, can be easily overlooked that, you know, has a double, triple entendre meaning. Yes, sir. So anyway, because um, Eng- English is a funny language, boy. They, I can go into that 
on another day. But <laughs> um, so yeah, um, long story truncated. Um, I would say that um, the little things in relationships um, mean um, a tremendous uh, uh, have a tremendous effect on on um, maintaining relationships, um, building relationships, extending relationships, and um, and you know just uh, keeping a level of balance and equality within relationships, um, a level of equity in relationships, a level of like skin in the game because you know if what often happens in, in in relationships that don't work is that one person starts to feel like they have more skin in the game than the other person and that the other person must not value the relationship in the same way and so it begins to feel lopsided and you know if you feel like you're carrying more of the burden than the other person how long are you going to feel like that you know before you address that you feel slighted so, you know, in order to, like, be mindful of that, you know, sometimes it's, you know, uh, um, doing something that you don't necessarily feel like doing at that moment. But it it provides balance for the relationship. It's, it's for the greater good. Yeah. yeah. I so think, I think that um, you, you touched on an important point there around the, you know, the intentionality of, of maintaining the relationship and, and having some ability to um, to be aware, like, okay, I haven't talked to this person in a long time, and I'm thinking about them. Maybe I should just shoot them a message or give them a call. Um, or um, as my uh, uh, family member that lives in uh, L.A. told me once, we were coming through, I was coming through for work, and I didn't think I would be able to see them or anything. But he was like, yeah, just let me know you're in town, though, anyway. Right? Just so I know you're here. If some, you know, if something was to happen or whatever, I know you're here. Right? And that is a small thing, but it is a important thing. You know what I mean? And that people are thinking about you and then that there's a, um, there's a reciprocity, right, in there around uh, how you treat people. Um, and then, you know, what are what is the terms of this relationship? Is and 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 then are y'all family? Are you? Um, is it a business thing? Is it a some other thing? Is it a romantic thing? Is it a, you know? Um, but if there's no intention in the over time to stay in connection, you know, when you maybe stop talking as much, the other person may feel some sort of way like, man, he don't call, it. he don't come through no more. He don't say what's up. You know what's up with that? You know what I mean? And, you know, if you have the fortune to, to, to talk again, you can be like, well, I just, you know, thought you, you know, I got the feeling you, you weren't really trying to kick it. So I went over, you know, I, I stopped kicking it. <laughs> you right. know, um, sometimes also you just get busy. You know I mean? Man, is there any, um, with that, is there any, any particular piece of, of sort of like how you stay connected with people? that you would, you know, maybe just one thing that you would pass on as a suggestion to others, like to how to just, you know, stay engaged with somebody. Yeah. <clears throat> one thing that I do for a lot of people 
well, two things that I do. I share articles, which I think they'll see based on our relationship, why I sent them that article, why it's important between the two of us. So it might be something, a current event, you know, that has something to do with a certain area of the country or area of the world or a certain thing about science or, or sociology or history or something, something relevant and or, you know, just a beautiful song. I think sometimes it it means so much. I found that it means so much when I send people a beautiful song at 7.38 in the morning that, you know, as they're starting their day, somebody thought to send them a, a, just a, a, a great song that's just kind of like, oh, wow, that was that was nice. Like, yeah. I didn't, I've never heard that song before. I didn't know the song existed. And somebody thought about me and sent it to me. This is cool. Yeah. And so, you know, little things like that, I think, go a long way. I think, um, think um, as I as I'm now, because I don't have children, so I'm now an uncle. That's you know uh, the uncle of a a young man who's about to be 18. And now I understand, like I don't get uncle, hey, un- how you doing? Happy birthday, happy anything phone calls because he's you know an adult basically. Mm-hmm. You know he does, yeah, he functions like a young adult. And so now I know, like, dang, I should call my uncle. I should call my aunt and just say what's up because they ain't heard from me in a gang in a month of Sundays. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start to, like, now that, you know, as as you become an adult, you get to start to see the personalities of your older uncles, aunts, and people in your life because now you're their age and you can see what it would be like to put your your foot in their shoe or their shoe on your foot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, I never even thought of that as a child because I was a child. I wouldn't have known these mitigating circumstances about that person. So now it's like, oh, wow, never thought about that part. Okay, maybe maybe this person isn't so bad or maybe the situation wasn't the way I thought it was. Maybe that person deserves a phone call, uh, uh, you know. Just something, you know. So I think you know we're we're in we're in a very very critical petty um, situation and culture right now in the United States is it's pretty toxic, and so it's real easy to write people off, to curse people out, to just be done with people, and um, it's it's hard to um, to forgive. Where it's almost become a culture where forgiveness is weak and and negative, um, and and so um, as, you know, kindness is vilified more and more, I think it's going to require more strength, fortitude, and courage to be forgiving of people. And, and not in a, in a docile, forgiving way that, you know, similar to how, you know, um, African people were taught to be docile during slavery to, you know, prevent our... Um, our uh, extermination, I guess, during that period. But, I mean, um, um, compassionate, to be compassionate as, 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 a, as a person, as a, as a human, as a human being, as a, as a you know, as a life form. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I, I would say um, it's just a, a time where 
it'd be extremely beneficial to not forget, you know, that um, <clears throat> the compassion that you show someone uh, reverberates in the world that's very, very, um, very cold. And so, you know, the smallest hint of compassion can go a long way and can, can before you know it, start building a culture of compassion because it, it, it creates a new example for people who've never really seen it. And I think a lot of times we forget that this is a generation of young people who have never seen compassionate people um, because it's very, you know, everything is very calculated in this world that we live in. Nothing really goes off script. <clears throat> it's not like, and I'll, I'll use this example, and I, I must give all credit to the, the person who introduced me to this concept. I have a, a friend of mine, Kahari Mosley, who began writing a book uh, a number of years ago. And the concept of the book is that, um, and this is his idea, has been copywritten, so if you want to try to do it after I've mentioned that he has this copywritten, um, you know, um, Kahari Mosley's book's premise uh, is that um, the children of the mid-70s up until the early 80s are similar to amphibians. And the amphibians can survive on land and in water. They can breathe on both in both uh, uh, terrains. And so the symbology is that the water creatures are the people born before 1975 who existed in an analog world where there were AM, FM radio stations that you would turn, twist a dial on that would make a little weird noise, a little analog noise, as you switched in between stations. Uh, it's a world that had um, TV antennas that you would have to move and and try to arrange in a certain configuration or shape in order to get a video signal because we were dealing with physical waves and it was a world where people said good morning pardon me excuse me um do you mind people people there were certain manners um it was a world where there were not there were no cameras there things weren't being recorded um there was a certain freedom to things. There was a certain, at the same time, there was a certain order to things. It was, it, certain behaviors were just understood, you know, um, um, acknowledging people's presence, um, um, being, being um, we now call it chivalrous, but um, being a gentleman, opening a door for, for a woman, holding a door, um, just certain ways of conduct. Um, anyhow, um, then you have the land creatures who are the people born into a post-computer digital world where everything is being recorded, everything is, can be you know, uh, put on Worldstar, mm -hmm. um, where you, know, um, you can Google anything to find anything out. Um, where you don't have to treat older people any particular kind of way, especially if they don't deserve it. Uh, I don't. I don't have to acknowledge anyone's presence. I don't really have to interact with other human beings if I choose not to. I can have a digital personality. I can have a digital al alternate reality. Um, and so um, the 
only people who can traverse both of these worlds because the the sea creatures have a hard time they can't breathe mm-hmm. in the on on land yeah. and the land creatures see no reason why they would ever revert to going back into the sea mm-hmm. but life has evolved so to speak from the sea to land the only creatures that understand the values and the benefits of the sea world as well as the benefits and detriments of the land world are the amphibians and the amphibians have the capability of going back to the sea and communicating about the advantages or the benefits of the things happening on land to the sea creatures and go on land and try to uh, uh, inform the land creatures about the benefits of sea culture and some of the values and, and things that existed in the sea world or exist in the sea world that have not been um, translated, transferred into the digital age that continues to, to speed ahead, you know, by the second. So um, I think the role that we play as uh, we become, you know, uh, adults, you know, nearing our, our middle age mm-hmm. um, is sharing those things, sharing, you know, uh, sharing the details of what it was like to, to get that first AOL disc and plug that phone cord into the wall, into the jack, and, and hear your computer make a dialing sound for the first time and, and, and typing a sentence and, and, and then reading somebody you know, with a different screen name, reply to you and realize that you were communicating in real time with another human being somewhere else on the planet, mm-hmm. on a computer. And how, how just thrilling that was, how amazing that was, and how you were trying to explain how cool it was to your parents or to someone older, and they, you know, they couldn't even comprehend what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean you're talking to someone on a computer? Because talking meant talking. It meant sound. It meant, you know, so I think, I think you know, we bear a responsibility almost to the world to, to not allow certain um, human behaviors to be lost in, mm-hmm. in our digital world. And I also think we owe the world um, a, a debt of honesty to say not everything in the analog world was good. Yes, and... Um, you know, one thing that has continued to travel into the digital world from the analog world is racism, mm-hmm. is igno- the the ignorance of of um, of uh, the concepts that have that have persisted um, in you know our our world economy, uh, um, which is capitalism, um, and and some of the things that have been done you know post Euro expansion or expansionism, you know. Uh, 14, uh, let's say, 15th century going forward. Mm-hmm. Some of those concepts um, have have continued into the digital age and digital era. And, you know, in our current uh, presidential administration in the United States, we've seen a resurgence of the types of behavior we have not really in mass seen in this frequency since the civil rights era um, with... Uh, not only you know the beha- the behavior of um 
of um you know regular everyday US citizens but also the behavior of of people in power um out in the open and uh you know we've also not ever had the technology to witness um people being um murdered by police at the frequency that we have it now yeah. um to to be able to make informed decisions about you know uh how we feel about our current system of government how we feel about um the institutions of our government the uh enforcement of these institutions and things like that so yeah. there there's a, a lot to to um be aware of in in this however um in transferring um things out of the analog world into the digital world um like i said we must continue to um bring forth uh civilization and and humanity um because uh a large part of what brought forth this digital era and digital age is capitalism is uh the system uh, which created companies, which led to entrepreneurs, which led to, you know, um, startups that led mm-hmm. to, you know, the technology that we now have in the forms of, you know, uh, computer chips, silicon chips with electromagnetic qua- qualities that can, you know, store information, that can do calculations, that can be used to communicate can be used to transfer data packets of information at lightning rates of speed never seen before Mm -hmm. so um with all of that you know there is still a human responsibility to maintain equality for living entities and living beings on this planet and Oftentimes, that side is not translated into digital. It's we're 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 in a, a binary system of of ones and zeros, of of black and white, of on and off, mm-hmm. and um, oftentimes, uh, compassion is not in the equation. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, it, it's it's very easy to um, to make general statements, generalizations, and blanket statements about people, about all police, about all white people, about all black people right now, about all poor people, about all gay people, about all all any types of people. Uh, and we're in a current uh, era, uh, especially in the United States, where you know more and more people seem to be operating from a blanket statement type of mentality. But um, I've learned in, in my travels in life that all people aren't any kind of way that that there are unique individuals of every type of background and there are people who are identically like you from all types of backgrounds mm-hmm. and there are people completely the opposite of you of all sorts of backgrounds and you have to have on you know your x-ray glasses to pay attention to who's who because you know these people comes in different shapes sizes forms and in ways that you will not always be able to to detect, um, some of my brothers like to say detect, mm-hmm. um, but you won't always be able to uh, recognize who these individuals are just based off the the costume or the uniform that they come in the yeah. uh, the 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 vessel, as some people say. Yeah. The, you know, so 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's peace. Something you said there uh, that stood out is, um, and maybe we can, well, we'll just go into it. Um, the being aware of your, your place in a situation, like mm-hmm. where, you're, where you're competent, where others may not be, you know, like it may not be uh, malicious that the person is not responding in the way you think they should. They may really just not understand that that's an option or see that within their, their perspective and their frame of the world and in the time that they came from or the influences that they had. It doesn't mean you need to allow them to abuse you or anything of that nature, but it means you may want to, in your, in your way to engage with that, take into consideration, like, okay, wait a minute, this person may not even understand what I'm doing here, right? You know, when... Um, some, uh, I mean, working sometimes with younger kids, um, either in certain situations where I'm like, oh, you get, you get feedback different. You, you are getting feedback from an adult who got it different than I got it. So your normal response to me is a little bit like, you know, that's odd. Yeah, like, and so what I need to do is not just let you know, um, what I'm seeing, but also need a little bit maybe model to you how I expect to be engaged, you know, young person, you know, so, you know, it's direct communication. Hey, look, hi, little man, I need you to get on the, we in the, we in the circle right here, you know, with, with, you know, give me the, give me the eyes of no one ever, no, no one's told me that there's order sometimes in this way, you know, I'm empowered sometimes to just people deal with the way I, I shake and move, um, and I got it that we want to respect your little kid ability to be who you are, but also there's some order and some structure, and depending on where you're at, there might be a way you need to conduct yourself. So I'm going to let you know that. <laughs> you know what that just made me think of? What's that? The black family was first... Uh, um, assaulted in, in the the process of the transatlantic slave trade and the resulting um lynching period and the the um the uh, uh the black codes and the and the Jim Crow era and then um um t- again through um through uh systemic um um barriers to uh employment and uh opportunities such as home ownership and and um, equal protection under the law, but then the the government um, infused uh, our communities with uh, drugs purposefully, um, and those drugs, uh, especially the last major epidemic in um, in black, well, and I can't say the last because the current one is the last one, uh, and that's the current battle of uh, uh, young people being addicted to opioids in the black community. But the previous one to that was the crack era. And so the crack era was the first time, and and my brother Majestic uh, was the first person that I began having this conversation with, is that the the crack era was the first time that um, in the black community uh, children um, began to hold sway over adults and adults began to fear children and 
that happened as a result of um, adults becoming addicted to a drug that children had access to sell to them and uh, the children being able to amass so much income from selling the adults the drugs that the children then began also purchasing and owning weapons mm-hmm. and and um, um, unhesitatingly using the weapons to the point that the adults became afraid of the ch- of their own children mm-hmm. and became afraid to say something back to the children for fear that the children would retaliate emotionally against the adults. And that process um, persists to this day in our community that adults are afraid of children and are afraid of the um, repercussions of, of chastising our own children. And so um, because of that, you know, it is so abnormal to, especially to, to children in the black community, to be, um, to be corrected by a black man who is not family because it's, it's almost, you know, it's almost taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, I still recall a time when you might get a whooping from somebody up the streets, mom, and then as you come home crying, she's going to tell your parents that she just spanked you because you were tripping, and now you're going to get whooping part two. So in my lifetime, I've seen, you know, role reversals happen um, in my community amongst children and adults. And so it never, some of the atrocities that are happening never seem to in some ways surprise me because of the role reversal that happened in our community of of the the um the uh i guess the the gravity of being an adult versus a child yeah i think the thing that um most challenges me at this time about that is the, the when i interact with adults who do not feel they um they don't have the confidence and to a degree don't do not believe and when I say believe I, I, I use that word to mean accept as the truth that you um you know it, it is your job to in, engage with a young person and go you know pardon me young person what what's up what's up with that all right y'all young people have a good one even just speaking you know peace where y'all going, man? Y'all be safe out here. Have a good day. That sort of thing. Where it's literally like, well, I don't know this young person in any way. Therefore, I have no standing. I have no, um, it is not appropriate for me to engage them. And that, to me, is is wholly um, unhealthy. And it's counter to what, uh, you know, what has been our historical value system. You know what I mean? That it's a village. We all here. You know what I mean, I, I can talk to you and I don't need, you know, I don't need to come at you disrespectfully or something. I can understand you bucking at that. You know what I mean? But if I look at you in the face, I must give you a head nod. Of, What's up? How y'all doing? Y'all be cool. Something. And, you know, you can choose or not choose to or choose not to reciprocate. But I'm not going to allow you to operate in a world where you don't you don't think I need to see you and vice versa. You know I mean? And that 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 disturbs me when I when I engage with adults who are like cowering away from the eyes of young people. Yo, that's funny you said that, man. Last week, 
um, I was walking down the street in my neighborhood in the Hill District, and a teenage brother walked up to me. He was one of he was the cour- courageous one of his crew of four to ask me to go into the corner store or the the Indian ran convenience store in our neighborhood and buy him a black and mild or buy him a pack of black and miles. And I thought about it and I thought, I you know what? I could I could go in there and buy this pack of black and miles for them and then uh, I could develop their trust and I I could use that as a way to start, you know, kicking information to them and and maybe, you know, just now that we have that trust that I bought you a black and mild, now, you know, I can tell you mm-hmm. the truth. But then I was like, you know what? Hell no. Cause smoking is not cool, and I'm not going to provide this young brother with the tools of addiction because I know I started smoking at 12, 13, right? So I'm still dealing with that addiction today. I'm not going to help start you off on that addiction. Mm-hmm. So I told him, no, man, I'm not going to go get you a black and mild because – Smoking is a horrible habit, and I started around your age, and I still do it, and it's cost me money, and it messes with my health, so I'm not going to get it for you. And him and his homies were shocked that that was my response mm. because of, you know, our age proximity. I'm not that that much older than them, mm-hmm. but I'm old enough to still be an adult and, and responsible or feel some sort of responsibility to you to, to you know, not be... Um, a uh, a contributor to your to your bad decisions, mm-hmm. and and I recently had a, a, a older brother of mine share something with me. Uh, his name is Wise Born. He's in Milwaukee. Um, peace. He told me that there is a tremendous difference in making a mistake and making a bad decision. He said that making a mistake is like making a mistake is similar to stepping on someone's shoe in a crowd. You totally did not intend to put your foot down on someone else's foot. Mm-hmm. However, you have to own up to making a bad decision. And the only way you can learn from making bad decisions is to acknowledge that they were bad decisions in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that moment, I thought about that, that I would be making a bad decision if I purchased not only the fact that that's illegal, but just a bad decision as an adult, sending a bad message to a young person to help them participate in something that's not healthy, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, it takes cor- it takes courage, you know. I think uh, faith. I think the let me share there that is pointing to is the um, wanting to start to define like that. You have the, the, the your role as an adult sometimes is to start to establish with younger people and not just younger people with everybody around you, quite frankly, but also especially with young people. Um, what is who you are and who you aren't, right? So they see you, you know, moving through the neighborhood, whatever, have you again and again over other times. You know, y'all have other interactions. But remember that that time when I wanted to do something that I know I really shouldn't be doing, he didn't, he wasn't unkind. He wasn't without compassion for me in telling me no. But he also did let me know, like, this is the line, Right. And, you know, with respect and love, I'm not going to put that on you. You know what I mean? That that sort of thing sticks with you. You know, I, at least for me, I say, I remember the people who let me know where the line was. <laughs> is that that's the line? And you go, okay, I got it. I see this is the line. Let me, let me not, let me respect the line. I have a story about a line. Um, in 1995, 
I went to the Million Man March, and I it was a life changing experience for me. And um, I uh, I came back home, and I was really you know like kind of hyper pro black for about two or three months. And at that time, I was also uh, I had also gotten my first high school job. I was I was washing dishes at a pizza joint. Washing these hot metal pans every day after school, burning my hands, and you know, for a little bitty check, I think I was making like four thirty-five an hour. And um, my homie that I went to school with, that lived, you know, on the next block, you know, we kicked it every day, played basketball together, everything. He was about to start serving. He was about to start selling selling um, crack. He was going to start getting some rocks, and so you know. His uncle was the plug, was the connect on getting mm-hmm. the, the crack. And so I remember saving up some money from my job and going with my man to approach his uncle about hooking us up with some rocks, hooking us up with an eight ball so we could get going and start, you know, start selling crack for our, our start enterprising. Mm-hmm. And I remember his uncle looking at me. And and being like, little you know, because I also at that time called myself, you know, being a member of a ga- of of a gang, um, and so, you know, he addressed me like, you know, little homie. I'll, I'll say, didn't you um, write an article in the newspaper? Didn't you didn't you write an article about going to the Million Man March? And totally floored because. Who thinks crack dealers read the children's <laughs> section of the local newspaper? He, this brother had read the entire newspaper because my section, the, the youth you know, uh-huh. writing section, was like literally in the middle of the paper. Right. So this brother was well-informed, well-read, and had, had actually read the article that I had written in the local newspaper months before. Mm. Totally caught me off guard, and I had to say, yeah, that was me. And he was like, man, I'm not giving you no crack. <laughs> he was like, man, that, bruh, I'm not, that, you need to write, man. You need to be a writer. That was a good article. Yeah. And I was totally shocked. <laughs> I was totally, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, this was like the gangster period of, like, Pac and, and, and Big and, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, all the rap heroes and legends of the 90s, all, crack. Selling was an option in my community. It was a way to, you know what I'm saying? It, as a young person, it was like a hustle that could get some money in your pocket to be able to mm-hmm. buy the shoes and clothes that you wanted to wear or get you a car. or, you know. So the fact that this person who had, who, who had access to this, this stuff that was destroying our community but was making, you know, making uh, rich or... or making young people uh, quite a bit of money frequently. He said no because I had written an article in the newspaper. He he recognized that I was somebody that had other things to contribute to the world. Right. And so fast forward maybe five or six years, um, his cousin, my homeboy, um, was, was, a, was killed at, by a stray bullet at a nightclub, at a bar or a nightclub, um, you know, as he ran from from 
a fight or a scene of some other people not he had nothing to do with. But yeah, yeah. I just always think like, damn, you know, had had I been allowed that opportunity to get into that life, would I have been standing next to him in front of that that spot that night? Right. Or what, how would my life have turned out if he hadn't intervened and said, no, I'm not giving you any crack. No, I'm not supporting your bad decision. <laughs> You're not making a mistake. You're making a, a bad, bad decision. decision right now. <laughs> right? So, you know, I... I, you know, I, I always, uh, um, in my mind, you know, salute that brother because, you know, um, I remember reading Dante's Inferno in high school and um, uh, my, in that book, uh, it said, um, and the hottest level of hell was for, in, in time of, of this, a great decision, um, those who, who made none or, or mm-hmm. something along those lines, like, you know, the hottest level of hell was for people who, who knew what the right thing was, but when it came down to making a decision, they didn't make a decision. They stayed neutral. Yeah. That was the hottest. That was the worst level of hell, you know. So I always think about that in regards to, you know, the the, the internal fortitude that it takes to, to speak up and say no yeah. sometimes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, thank you. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to we'll move us because we're getting close to to wrap want, up time. Yeah, I don't want to take. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could go long. I like to go long, right? But um, yeah, this is so, going long as hell because I'm just yeah, it's all running good, my mouth. It's all um, good. This, we had coffee, so I'm I'm yeah, extra. We, we, we charged up right now. Um, um, let me ask you this, and then we can bridge this into because um, I want I want to make sure we talk a little bit about Black Man Green Plan for sure. Okay. Um, um, and maybe this is the answer to this question. So what's just really important to you right now? Like, what's just something that's really important for you in your life? Hmm. Um, that is a difficult question to answer because I, I think, you know, um, in in... The first law of nature is self-preservation, so I think it's easy for me to say, you know, what's personally important to me right now, uh, which in some ways I think would be selfish. Mm-hmm. So I think um, what's truly important to me uh, right now is um, for the collective consciousness of the victims of the Western domination of the European superpowers um, 500 years ago for the descendants of those people who were victimized by the Western expansion of the European nations of power at that time who were uh, Spain, Portugal, England, uh, France, uh, um, Germany eventually, and, uh, you know, the Dutch, um, as well as a few others sprinkled in there. But majority those... um, I think that uh, what's most important is that uh, the descendants of those who are the victims of those people, whether they be of black or Afro-African descent or of some type of indigenous descent, figure out what we're going to do with the world that uh, exists. Because as their systems of economics um, have shown themselves to be short-sighted, lopsided, and not going to stand the test of time, we need to determine our own future and determine um, what world we plan to live in and what world we want to leave for the 
the young people who come behind us. And I suggest that we um, be mindful of the uh, indigenous, uh, and I, I want to say it's an Iroquois concept, uh, but I know it's from one of the indigenous nations to plan our decisions in our future for the next seven generations, that whatever decisions we make right now, we start thinking for the next seven generations of our people and not just relieving the pressure of, you know, this, the the weight of the systems that we live under to get off our neck right now, mm-hmm. that we really would benefit from long-term decision-making and that we consider, you know, the, the advancements made by um, the Japanese people post uh, World War II after a nuclear weapon was dropped on them. <coughs> Excuse me. That we consider ourselves um, uh, similar to um, nations who've had to build after a catastrophic event. That mm-hmm. um, we, we, you know, consider our situation similar to um, a, a, a natural disaster happening because we've been plagued by a a 400 to 500 year natural disaster. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are we going to do to rebuild um, for us and for our benefit and for our not only sustainability, because to me sustainability means survival, but um, for us to enjoy an above average um high quality of life, decent quality of life, exceptional quality of life, um, because uh, the suffering that uh, we've cumulatively uh, experienced is uh, more than the reason for all of us to uh, deserve to enjoy uh, um, a very good quality of life. Um, So I, I think that, you know, the the way for that to happen is for more of our people, more of our, especially more of our young people, to understand how societies are built um, from a from a do-it-yourself perspective, meaning the engineering, the the uh, architecture, the the building trades, the um, the mechanisms that allow for um, a society to be constructed. Um, our young people need ent- entry into those fields and need encouragement to go into those fields, especially, uh, you know, um, young women, uh, because it's not often encouraged of young women to get into construction trades or building trades, things that have conventionally been specifically thought of as man's jobs, man's work. Mm-hmm. And, and just as well, you know, um, young men to get into fields that traditionally aren't necessarily thought of as men's jobs, like nursing. Um, so I think that, um, the, what's important to me is the, um, the, not only the survival, but the thriving of, um, original people, people of black, brown, yellow descent, um, uh, who, uh, are the victims of, of, um, capitalism, who are the victims of, what later has become, you know, the United States and the and the mega conglomerate of world powers that control the 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 national bank and all the those things. I think what's important for me is that um we survive uh whatever America decides to become, whatever uh um 
you know, the British Empire decides to do with Brexit and whatever is happening, that, that we figure out how we're going to be okay. And that, you know, uh, if that's providing aid to Puerto Rico, if that's providing aid to Haiti, if that's providing aid to the Virgin Islands, if that's providing uh, some type of assistance to the people of Barbuda, which was just wiped off the map, um, if we decide that we're going to provide aid as um, the, the, the same people who are spread to different continents, uh, then we should do that, and we should have the means to do that. And if that takes all of our entertainers, all of our athletes to get on board, if that takes all of our 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 upper upper level wealth people mm-hmm. to get involved, then that's what it takes, and that's going to be the demand of all members of our our society and culture, um, whether we like their music or their art or not. Um, we we're we're at that point, you know. Um, the I think the significance of of the building of schools as a thing amongst you know those with the means is a great example of an awakening of responsibility. Because, well, if if we if we've agreed that their schools aren't teaching our children to perform in a global uh, economy in and in an environment where they have to be able to compete to sustain themselves. If we know that the school systems in this system that we live under are not preparing them for that, and we have the means to to provide them with an education that will allow them to survive, then by all means we owe them that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the collective consciousness for that type of uh, um, awareness is, is going on right now. I think that the fact that so many people are deciding to boycott this year's football season um, as a response to um, not only the president's uh, uh, um, behavior uh, surrounding uh, Colin Kaepernick and other players who boycotted, but as well as the team owner's behavior and conduct and, and mm-hmm. uh, um, um, voicing of their, of their perspectives on how these athletes should behave. I think that, um, you know, from things like uh, some of the art and some of the writing uh, on so- certain TV shows like Luke Cage and, and um, um, uh, I forgot, Black Lightning, um, mm-hmm. just some of the subjects that are being touched on, some of the movies that are coming out with Sorry to Bother You and, and the Black Klansmen. I think that there's there's also, at the same time, that we haven't seen as much open open... Uh, out in public racism, as we've seen in the last few years, that we've also not seen this this just explosion. Uh, you know, the, the Black Panther film uh, still outbreaking grossing records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we've not seen such a a a positive black explosion uh, for quite a few decades mm-hmm. since the Black Power movement. And you know, I, I was a child in the. Um, the the late 80s, early 90s, when black medallions and nut, free Nelson Mandela buttons were were extremely popular when the self-destruction and uh, We All in the Same Gang videos dropped almost simultaneously. Um, so being being aware of that and, and there during that moment, um, I feel that this moment is in some ways going harder than that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, they still don't have nothing as intense to me as Public Enemy was in that in that period of time. Yeah, um, yeah. However, 
um, the the amount of of consciousness, you know, the 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 consciousness pumped into um, pop culture right now by Beyonce and Jay Z is extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that right now the um, the survival of original people in the Western Hemisphere is critical, um, not only to us but survival to our people on the African continent, on the Indian continent, on the Australian continent, uh, on the Asian continent. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's are we going to talk about survival of the world's majority? And not in that I'm, I'm not for white people. Uh, I am good friends and have colleagues, supporters, and support a various amount of white people that I know um, and I think that they are in support of this uh, current uh, degree of black revolution that's happening, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that they're aware that there are systems intact that will make sure that regardless what happens, that they are okay. And they can't, and I can't say the same for people of color. So. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 very um always uh um hopeful and uh concerned about um the survival of original people who have no protection in the western hemisphere and I think that if we if we look at a, a series of events but I'll just use climate related events as recent examples of this that the fact that the United States government just completely did not provide assistance to the island of Puerto Rico or that you know <clears throat> The United States government just absolutely did not provide assistance to the people of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. I think those are two, you know, blaring examples of like, you know, we we don't really, you know, give a a, a damn about you, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I mean, I think you can tie in the, the the same storm in Houston this year, and and all of the. The structural stuff around floodplain, water management, land management, public policy, what land gets valued where, what, you know, what states looking at you, Texas, that have basically built into their their way of managing that. No, we'll just let stuff flood and then we'll take federal money. Like, so we're not going to try to plan because, <laughs> on you know, to prevent these flooding incidents, we're just going to take federal money. Right. So the same highly conservative state that says they don't want, you know, public money to be used for things is basically crafted their land management policy around. No, we'll just let stuff flood and get federal emergency money. Right. Right. So like, you know, people's hypocrisy and and, and what are their values, but the important thing for us is what what are what are we aware of in terms of our circumstance, our situation and how can we um not that systems don't need to be adjusted and held accountable to to meet our needs because we we are part of them. We, we our money and resources go into these things, um, but just that uh, that that tap in that it's like how are we what are we gonna do? What's gonna be for us? Can I ask? Is that because I feel I feel I feel I feel like that is sort of the heart of the, of, of the black man green plan that you just shared to some degree. Am well, I, am I on the path? Or am I it, off the it, path? Talk it, to me. It definitely plays a, a part. So um, I I come from came from a, a social work uh, um, 
uh, background in my in my work history mm-hmm. um, around 2000 between 2006 or seven to about 2012. I worked as a truancy officer and, and done leadership programs with young people mm-hmm. and um, began to notice some patterns. And then I went from working with young people to working in, um, in uh, workforce development. And I began to see similar patterns. So um, when I was laid off of my work in workforce development uh, around 2012 and went to school for renewable energy, one of the things that I began to become aware of is some of uh, the behaviors of what I know in black culture Mm -hmm. and the role that it plays in making high energy bills. And so I just immediately, I think when I began to, um, in school, we we were measuring, you know, kilowatt hours um, while burning light bulbs and doing calculations of how many kilowatt hours an incandescent bulb burned uh, in the same amount of time as a CFL or chlorofluorescent uh, bulb um, versus an LED light bulb and how much less the LED light bulb burned but how much more it costs up front. Mm-hmm. And I immediately began to think of, you know, situations in my own house where, you know, we weren't going to be home, we were going out of town, for a weekend to go, you know, to the south to visit my grandparents, and we left a light on so that somebody always thought that somebody was home so our house wouldn't get broken into. Mm-hmm. And how much, how many kilowatt hours of electricity that must have been. And that was a spike in my parents' bill, but it was a necessary risk to keep from the whole house getting burglarized during the crack era when we were going out of town. Mm-hmm. And how to this day, you know, when single black mothers or, or, or it's just single mothers in poor economic conditions go to work or, you know, they have to work overnight and, and have to leave a light on or a porch light on or something to make sure their stuff doesn't get broken into because there's no one to protect their stuff when they're gone. Mm-hmm. And just some of the socioeconomics of poverty related to energy. Um, so <clears throat> as I began to learn more about this and I began to learn more about the the culture of energy, uh, um, both, you know, the culture of, of how energy was uh, um, invented in America, but the, the systems, the companies who, you know, initially rolled out our electric grid and how the energy is generated and some of the, the byproducts of the energy and, you know, who's first exposed to those byproducts. As I began to learn about the environmental justice components of of green of the green movement uh, and of energy in general i i just immediately began to become aware that oh man so we're actually paying as as poor poor people and and poor black people people of color original people we are paying more for energy and we're also being poisoned by the byproducts of the production of the energy that we're paying more for. Mm -hmm. I was just blown away. And it was, you know, I I pride myself in understanding about, you know, the history of the world and our origins as people um, prior to, you know, uh, the development of, of 
Europe as a as a concept and you know our our advancements you know uh during the dark ages uh and and you know these high points in African society and all of the things that happened to us during slavery and our coming out of slavery and all that I know all this stuff and I you know up to the you know the Tuskegee experiments and you know crack being dr- dropped in the black community and all that stuff and I never ever thought about air pollution related to making electricity just totally wasn't on my radar ever but I have asthma and I began to learn more about the rates of asthma of black people close to power plants mm-hmm. and close to you know these things and I, and you know I've been a vegetarian for like the last 19 years so I I know about you know the importance of organic food and and health and and a diet and the diet of poverty and diet of poor people you know from the south moving to other cities and you know what you eat if you don't have money and what you eat if you do have money and you know living in the ghetto and only having a quarter you know go to the corner store so knowing all of that um i began to need to say something and and let some of that out and so i at that time i didn't have a job i was i was frustrated i couldn't i couldn't find a green job and i mm-hmm. i had this green education so i started writing and i started jotting my blog uh i or my my ideas down and into a blog um and so uh from there you know i started posting more articles and information i was learning mm-hmm. about this green movement from a black man's perspective because i wanted the single mothers that i used to work with um trying to help them get some employment as a workforce development case manager mm-hmm. i wanted them to understand about these damn light bulbs about these led light bulbs and how much money it would save them if they would pay $12 up front for this led light bulb how much it was going to save them in the next 5 to 6 10 years but i know with them having to struggle and figure out what bills to pay and what goes to what how difficult it would be for them to fathom paying $17 for a damn light bulb but i i i you know or or just you know some of the things that they could do to prevent their children from you know being poisoned by uh uh PCBs and plastic you know um uh poly uh i'm i'm i can't remember it no I'm, I'm, I'm sorry not not pcbs bpa bisphenol a um okay. which is a chemical in in certain plastics yeah. um pcbs are, are are another poison that are instrumental in the starting of the environmental justice movement back in warren county north carolina in the late 70s mm-hmm. but that's a whole nother conversation yes, sir. but as i began to learn about things like the pcbs in warren county north carolina that also brought the green movement full circle for me because I began to learn about the connections to the civil rights movement and environmentalism Mm -hmm. and the role that people like um, uh, um, um, Reverend uh, Brother Ben Chavis and, and, you know, the commission that did the first study, the UCC Church, uh, first study of environmental toxins and their proximity to black neighborhoods in in places like Houston, Texas, uh, and how we kind of connect to this whole environmental thing. Um, and I began to learn about, you know, just reconnect to some of my southern roots of farming and my grandparents farming and growing 
peppers and 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 certain vegetables and certain things that they didn't they didn't buy from anybody because they grew them. Mm-hmm. And you know the slaughtering of animals on my on my grandfather's farm in Mississippi, and you know just them knowing how to do these things, um, and my disconnection from those things growing up in the city, and um, just what what kind of happened to us in fleeing from the racist system in the South. We learned certain components of our culture traveling north into these cities to to work in these factories and to live this faster way of life that was less, you know, racist uh, overtly, but certainly just as racist covertly. So, mm-hmm. you know, as I, I began to learn more about the inner workings of some of these things, our food system, our energy system, our our frequency of, of being poisoned and, and killed and, and victims of, you know, these um, uh, environmental systems, which are silent killers of us while we're facing police brutality, while we're facing, you know, poverty and and lack of uh, equal representation under the law. It's kind of like, you know, we keep getting these these big punches in the face. You know, every, every couple of days you see a video of somebody black getting beat up by police or killed by police, but it's these little quiet little rib punches that we keep getting hit with bad air quality and lead and water and, you know, these environmental things we're not even thinking about. We're trying to duck head, you know, knockout punches from from killer, evil, racist cops. But we keep getting these rib punches that are just knocking the wind out of us and their environmental hazards that, you know, government agencies like the EPA are not enforcing laws. And that's also connected to our political system, that we don't have people in office that are fighting for the enforcement of environmental rules and regulations and laws and fines that would protect our community. So the more I began to learn about this stuff, I it was like, wow, somebody's got to speak up yeah. on behalf of, like, poor folks in the hood of, of like, you know, I'm going to just say to use the phrase, use the term, pardon my language, um, but, like, hood niggas that don't read newspapers, that don't read articles about anything like that to understand why their children have inhalers, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not because mom smoked Newports. Mom smoke, smoking Newports is not helping, but that's not right. what caused the asthma. Right, right. You, you. I mean, even when folks become aware, I remember being a kid and you see like a power plant, even like one of those small ones, and you just be like, oh, that's like a power plant, and you just keep playing and kicking a ball and whatever. And they're like, wait a minute, I live. Two blocks from a power plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this good? Is this safe? Right. Like right. this good thing? I don't. You know, those sorts of questions. I think um, anything you can do to to highlight that to bring people aware of how their environment, how their space, and and not environment like trees, someplace distant from where you live, but like what's within your proximity is affecting how you live, affecting your health, and uh, and, and more than just the from the context of like a safety perspective, which is I think how typically people will speak about their immediate space, but also from a, a safe, like a safety meaning person to person safety, not material to person safety. You right. know what I mean? Um, One thing also that I became aware of very early into it is that the perception of black people to anything environmental or green is that that's white people stuff. And that amazing, uh, immediately became like a, a split in my mind because I, I had always experienced 
that my my family members in the South were like nature folks, were, you know, we went hunting, we went shooting, we captured stuff in the, you know, uh, we were, my family on both sides were big into fishing. I'm allergic to seafood, but they're a huge fishing, you know, family on both sides, um, you know, uh, chopping trees. Um, you know, my Mississippi side of my family was really in a rural area, you know, carrying buckets of water uphill from the spring, that type of stuff. I heard, you know, my mother tell stories of making soap out of ashes and, you know, lye and, and you know, um, the killing of animals, you know, losing her favorite animal as a kid, you know, because they had to eat. And just all these types of stories. So for me, just hearing that, you know, and and then in 2014 or 2013 uh, experiencing me teaching an environmental justice class and this high school young man just came out in the middle of my, my you know, teaching and said, man, fuck a tree. And I had to really, I had to really like pause and think about his experience. Mm-hmm. And I had to, res- you know, I, I didn't respect that he just stood up in my class and said a swear word, but I had to respect his perspective on the relevance of in this this you know world that he's growing up in, the relevance of me trying to teach him something about environmental issues and and pollution and fracking, when you know he's worried about gunshots by black people in his own neighborhood on his way back home from school, so you know I I also had to be aware of that level of consciousness yeah. that you know we're in every a lot of us are just in an everyday fight everyday struggle to survive for our lives outside of you know is your tomato organic or not right you know <laughs> uh and the relevance of you know if your tomato has fertile has been fertilized with something that causes cancer cancer takes years to to you know um, coagulate and form into your cells a gunshot will kill you in a split second. Mm-hmm. And so how do I communicate the importance of of um, health and wellness to somebody who's concerned with the next 24 hours of their survival? Mm-hmm. And the person who formed that question to me was my brother Shabi Allah. Um, I said Shabi, I apologize, G. Shabi Allah, uh, who works for The Source, I, I approached him about writing an article about you know, why black folks should be green. And the first question he asked me was, God, why will poor black folks give a fuck about being green? And that started my mind towards answering that question, which also had a big part of me forming, creating Black Man Green Plan. Right. Right. Um, appreciate that. Think, uh, yeah. So so long story short, I'm um, currently um, uh, working on creating my fr- my own business, which is a business um, training um, people of color, original people, black, brown, and yellow people, um, on how to install solar panels, on how to uh, do an energy audit and do weatherization work, mm-hmm. on how to maintain green infrastructure, because there are billions of dollars uh, being made in these fields, and we are making, uh, at least in solar, I know in 2016, uh, I read a study that said African-Americans made one-tenth of one percent of $46 billion. Um, So, you know, I... That needs to change. Yes, that needs to change, and I want to be a vehicle for that type of change. So 
Um, I was uh, recently featured in an article called uh, It's Difficult Being Being Green While You're Poor. Um, it was on Marketplace, done by Erica Barris. Um, shout out to Erica. Uh, I'll also be featured in a film coming out this fall, um, which uh, shows um, how cities have taken the reins of uh, meeting the Paris Climate Agreement. And Pittsburgh is one of those cities that was featured. I'm featured in that film along with my brother Majestic. Uh, and, um, you know, just continuing to advocate for black people having access to the same quality of life that all people have. And that means fresh, clean water, clean, fresh air. That means uh, um, green spaces. That means uh, clean energy, affordable energy, um, above decent housing, uh, um, and and away from things that harm us. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, if anyone in this country deserves peace and peace of mind and safety and security and the up, the upholding of justice, it would be um, the black and brown people of this country who've kind of been the victims of what's made this country gr- what it is. You know, and what many would say is the greatness of America is literally built on the backs of people that make up you know, my my family, be that the, the black part or the, the little chunk of Choctaw Indian that, that exists in my in my family and my blood. So um I got skin in the game and I wanna make sure that all others who have skin in the game on that side are okay. And and part of that being okay is the prosecution of murderous cops and, and illegal systems that, you know, find them not guilty when they commit murder. But uh, Another component is on billion-dollar conglomerate companies and entities that are allowed to pump billions of tons of toxic air or toxic chemicals into the air or, or into the water that we drink. So I think, you know, we, we have to deal with either and or, or both and uh, and not either or. Um, and a lot of times our focus is shifted to either or. Um, but we need to, again, create systemic systems of educating our children specifically for the battles that they need to fight and one of those battles is an economic battle one of those battles is a, is a is a a psychological battle on 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 black hatred on black self-hatred and black uh uh genocide and annihilation and and anger management and one of those battles is for uh environmental uh justice and protection and and uh um you know uh safety in the environments that we live in our communities, uh, in these countries that we live in the Western Hemisphere, whether that's the Caribbean, because I just uh, went out of the country for the first time this year to Barbados, and I've seen some amazing things, but I also seen some some troubling things. So, as well as in the Caribbean, you know, our people deserve uh, a better quality of life, and I think that we have the education and the means to bring about that. And so, you know, uh, the example set by brothers like Akon uh, encourages me that we can make that change, that we can use technology to change the conditions of our people all over this earth. Word. Man. That was divine. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. You know, (laughs) I I didn't get to go as much into... um, you wanted me to talk about transitions. I didn't really go into transitions as much, but one thing I'll say in parting about transitions is um, when it starts, it's not going to feel like how you thought. 
Mm-hmm. It's not going to, f- most of the times, it's not going to feel comfortable going through a transition. Um, it's going to actually feel very awkward at times, and it's going to make you question yourself. And, you know, during those moments, like, hold on to your hat. Mm. You know, hold on to whatever little fragment you have left of why you decided to do this and hug on to it with dear life and meditate on it and, and you know, uh, um, um, just cherish it. Like, like, don't let it go. Don't, don't give up hope. You know, um, try to breathe slowly and just, like, suffer through it because that is the transition. That's the transition happening. When those moments of I just, you know, I, I, I've had all I can take and I can't take no more, that is the moment when the transition happens. And also I would say another part of transition is don't be afraid to make a transition. Um, I'll, I'll use myself, for example, and this is being real personal. I, I've quit jobs without having a job, right? And that's a very risky decision to make. Yeah. Um, but it also takes the fortitude of knowing that there's more. Your your life is worth more. You can do more. This isn't this isn't the end all be all. Yes, and and you have to, you know, people use the phrase "believe in yourself." You have to trust your judgment and know what you know. To to know that you can survive, that you can do better. You you are worth more than what you're getting or what you're accepting. Because a lot of times it's not what you're getting, it's what you're accepting. Mm. And you've accepted less of yourself when you know you're worth more. And so um, that's part of, of transitions too. And, yeah. and, you know, you just got to have courage, man. You can't yes, give up. You know, I'm not the descendant of no punks or no suckers. That's you right. know what I'm saying? I'm I'm one of the strong, courageous seeds that, that survived all this stuff. Yes, sir. And there's work still to be done. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm the embodiment of that that struggle, that energy, that force, that work that would not allow itself to be extinguished through all these trials and tribulations and bullshit. So I'm a proud, upstanding member of that group, and I will continue to advocate on their behalf, as well as of the civilized people who got out into the ghettos of North America and said, peace. My name is such and such. Did did you know that you know the black man is the original man of the planet Earth? And and you know what I'm saying. Do you know our people have a history before slavery? And have you ever heard? And you know and and mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm a descendant of those people too. So I got a duty on that level to to be in the classroom, to be in the hood, to be everywhere, and and and, and teach the young people the truth, not only about who original people are, but just about being civilized, about being a good person, about, you know, being kind when you need to and being firm when you need to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, as as me and my brothers often talk about the, the iron fist with the velvet glove, you know, mm-hmm. and being swift and changeable yet remainable. And and, you know, being being able to adjust and adapt to all situations. I know you were trying to segue me out. Um, I, I just started <laughs> rapping again. That's I do right. that from time to time. It was the coffee. I'm gonna blame it on the caffeine. <laughs> it's but um, it's it's an honor to be a guest on your show, my brother. Thank you. You it's know, an honor to have you. Um, I look forward to you being a guest on my show again because yes. that's how this relationship start, started. You yeah. you actually did back to back episodes on my show. Oh so. yeah, that's right. So um, so I gotta uh, you know, I guess I gotta return the favor and yeah. be a guest again on your well, show. Oh. 
always down to cut some more tape, as I say, although there's no actual tape involved. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Word. Well, I think um, I think we said it all. Cool. Um, thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for opening up your space and your time. Absolutely. Um, with that, we're going to say uh, peace and peace, now divine. Peace. Peace to the listener audience. Peace to my brother, Justice. Peace to all the, the previous guests and the future guests. That's and right. especially to you, the customer, the listener. You know, willfully something that I said, you know, reached you at a point where you're at mm-hmm. and, you know, can spark some change in you or it'll be something that you hold on to and remember when it happens to you. Because <laughs> it will. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> as my brother Majestic also says, sometimes shit, hap- uh, uh, shit happens and sometimes it happens to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe something I said will be a tool in your tool belt when the shit happens to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just keep on living, keep on learning, keep on loving and, you know, try to be patient and strive to be forgiving and, and not foolish. That's it. And with that, I'm going to say peace. This has been the Ask Your Old Head podcast with Justice Raji. Peace.